0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, the start of Hamilton's new bullying panel begins this week. We'll get the inside line from one of the panel members. A lot of money's been invested into projects like LRT. Is the price of cancellation really worth it, though? Council chambers will be talking about that tomorrow, alongside the benefits of projects similar to LRT. And according to Metrolinx, by the way, the numbers associated with the cost of cancelling LRT are going to be released sometime this spring. It's actually cheaper to build it than to cancel it. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. A panel discussion uh, that uh, I think is very, very relevant. Uh, You all remember, of course, the tragic death uh, some time ago, about 14-year-old Devin Selvey, who was uh, murdered outside St. Winston Churchill Secondary School uh, in the east end of the city just a little while ago. One of the uh, offshoots of that, as uh, we talked to the Board of Education, is to uh, actually strike a panel that are going to be going around talking about bullying and they want to get input from you, me, everybody in the community and there are going to be a number of sessions that are going to be happening about that over the next little while. And uh, it starts this week. I, I know it's uh, it's great anticipation that uh, a lot of people are, are considering that this is something's got to be done about this. And hopefully uh, by May, I believe it is, uh, we're going to get some input from this. One of the members of the uh, panel is Dr. Jean Clinton, who is a clinical professor in the Department of Psychia- Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences in the Division of Child Psychiatry at McMaster University. She's renowned nationally and internationally, of course, as an advocate for children's issues. And uh, Dr. Gene Clinton joins us on The Bill Kelly Show to explain exactly what we can see from this panel. Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to talk with you, Bill.
0: Well, good to have you on here, Gene, because we've talked at a lot l- great length about this this, this tragedy itself, uh, and I think maybe one of the more troubling aspects of this is is this is this is not unique. This is not in isolation. This seems to be uh, just another in a series of, of very troubling times about bullying and the sorts of things that go on. Uh, well, specifically in, in the in the school systems.
1: Well, I think you're right that we've seen um, throughout kind of society that there is an increase in bullying and uh, certainly that Devon's death has really propelled the, the, the board to go deeper and see what, uh, what can be done to make schools safer places for, for students as well as all staff, for sure.
0: Jean, this is a monumental task that your, your panel is undertaking. Where do you begin? How do you start?
1: Well, the very first thing we're doing is reaching out, uh, reaching out to the community. We're also reaching out to Devon's mum uh, and doing a lot of listening, a lot of learning. And really, we want to hear from people what their experience is, their lived experience, uh, the students and, and others, and, uh, and really uh, come up with some recommendations that are based not only in the science, because we're reviewing that and have experts, but in the lived experience, some realistic and um, and meaningful and um, uh, and time uh, time focused recommendations.
0: Uh, The other members of the panel, of course, uh, are Gary Werner, a university professor, and uh, Brenda Flaherty, of course, uh, a former Hamilton Health Sciences, a former head of Hamilton Health Sciences. Uh, I've got to assume with the the personalities involved here and and the incredible CVs that all of you possess, uh, Gene, that you guys are going to bear down. This is not just a matter of of chronicling this. You want to find out causes, root causes, and, and possibly come up with some solutions here.
1: That's exactly. We are we are uh, very very like-minded in uh, in trying to get to uh, meaningful meaningful actionable um, outcomes for um uh, for kids, families students uh, for teachers as well uh, this is not a an exercise and um, show that you're sure that you're busily doing something we are um, um uh, as you as you may know the three of us we are uh, very dedicated and uh, want to see something come out of this it's meaningful for all those involved.
0: How do you reach out to the many many groups that uh, I, I'm sure need a platform and want to be a part of this this whole process?
1: Yeah, well, it's a great question, Bill. We've got um, we've got twenty sessions scheduled, and um, if you go to the uh, the board website, uh, they're they're listed. The first one is on um, uh, on Wednesday at Westmount Secondary. So there is the one is reaching out to people and asking them to come uh, to to facilitate it. We've got terrific facilitation uh, happening. Uh, so come and let us hear what we need to. What's good? What should we start doing? What or what should the board Start doing what should they stop doing, uh, and also we're developing with experts an online survey uh, that will be anonymous. That will be reaching out uh, to as many as many as we possibly can. Uh, we're um, uh, targeting uh, uh, many many of the voices of, of those who we know are are um, uh, affected by bullying and having specific sessions for them, and also in the uh, in the in the press we're reaching out through the um, uh, through the press. So as many voices as we can hear, uh, we will be listening to.
0: I'm, I'm just looking at some of the overview here, and uh, I, I can understand exactly where you're coming from here. Uh, students with special needs are going to be uh, identified here, their families in the community, black community, the Jewish community. Uh, indigenous, uh, a number of different people like this, but the, the, you know, the online survey, I think, Gene, is going to play a key role in this because as as we've found, and my information is really just anecdotal, of course, as I've talked to some of the parents and some of the students, I guess, that have been victimized by this over the years, uh, there's a hesitancy and a a reticence to get involved and be public about this because they're afraid of repercussions. The online anonymous survey, I think, is going to be very helpful to those people.
1: Absolutely, Bill, you're you're spot on there. And I think the, the research evidence supports your wisdom. Uh, uh, in this, that uh, for a, n- a number of reasons, people feel um, uh, safer in uh, online surveys. So we will, we will be working with the experts, and we're working with the top uh, Canadian researchers, uh, Dr. Deb Pepler and Dr. Tracy Viancourt, in, uh, uh, in developing the, the survey. So we're, uh, we're, really, we're really hoping to get the voices of those whose voices are, are, uh, may not often be heard.
0: Gene, is there a template for this? I mean, this is not just a Hamilton problem. Are there other communities that are reaching out and and, and trying to find solutions such as you're going to be doing?
1: Well, there are uh, many people across the world have looked at what can we do to uh, to diminish the incidence of bullying. There isn't a template following a death um, that we've unfortunately, you know, that's been propelled by such as this. But what we know is that bullying. Is, um, uh, is a power imbalance. It's a relational issue. And very often it has to do, um, or, or moving forward on, it has to do with assessing the climate and the leadership and, and really going deep and seeing what are the conditions that we need to create so that young people feel safe in their learning environments, that they're safe to learn and that they're also safe to speak up so it's a it's a it's an addressing of um, a culture and culture is created by the quality of the relationships so this is uh uh and the quality of the relationships also has a lot to do with some of the underlying uh gritty issues such as racism so it's a it's a huge a huge issues and other countries have been tackling it um, uh, with um, uh, with more more or less effectiveness, but with us having the expertise of Dr. Pepler and Dr. Viancourt um, uh, and their work through Prevnet, uh, we really feel that we've got we've got the best evidence, the best expert information, coupled with what um uh, what the community is going to share with us in the both forms um we really will have the information and hopefully we'll have enough input to have the wisdom to make some recommendations that are going to be useful not just to us in hamilton uh but elsewhere
0: well the uh the team that has been assembled here and you mentioned some of the names here uh and and of course dr banko we know from the great work that she's done in the community and nationally of course uh, with the the expertise as all of you have uh, so this is going to be lent to it. This is not new a new problem to you. I mean, this is something that all of you have studied in the past, uh, but with the, the plethora of stories that we hear now, some of the very tragic, is, is it is it happening more, Gene, or is it just being reported more?
1: I think that it is quite likely that it is happening more. I think that we've, uh, and you know, this is a conversation that uh, I'm sure is dear to your heart, Bill. I think uh, generally we're seeing a diminishing of civil society for whatever reason, um, and when you when you when you see that kind of civility broken down, uh, then some of these power imbalances become uh, uh, become more uh, more prevalent. And so, when we're thinking about uh, when we're thinking about creating safe and caring schools, we're really talking about a culture that's going to see education move forward on the civic agenda.
0: The other element to this, too, and it's it's going to be a very touchy one, I'm sure that uh, you're going to come across probably more than once, uh, is uh, the home life of an awful lot of these people, both victims and those who are doing the bullying. Uh, you know the the reality here is that even if we talk about this in the school environment gene uh, they 're only at school for five or six hours a day the rest of the time they don't they don 't leave their attitudes at school and then go home uh th- that 's got to be explored as well and I know it's a very very touchy subject for an awful lot of people but its it 's got to be part of this conversation
1: it absolutely has to be it has to be part of the conversation and you know I think very often. Um, my understanding of human behaviour is that a lot, of the, a lot of the reactivity that we see in people comes from stress behaviour. And I think if we can help while the students are with us those five to six hours, as well as the staff, uh, and, uh, uh, and everyone involved in the school system if we can help those students develop the, um, uh, the skills, the knowledge and the attitudes of, 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 um, of creating safe environments, of understanding the perspective of the others of learning how to problem solve of learning how to be more self-reflective which is what public education should be about, take the perspective of the other, what we need our learners to be, then I think we stand a Better chance of kids going home and saying, "Well, you know, that's not the only perspective, you know, or I don't necessarily agree with you." So I think we have to. There's such power and greatness in kids that I think we have to. We have to think of education um, uh, as a way of 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 changing the um, uh, changing the reality of of so so much of what's going on.
0: One of the other elements here that I'm sure is going to come up again is social media and the impact this is having. I mean, the social media in itself is, is one of the great gifts we have. The Internet is incredible. I mean, the way it's opened doors educationally for us. Uh, but it can be an enemy, and, and it's certainly a catalyst for an awful lot of the people. I think it emboldens the people that want to carry on with this kind of behavior, Gene,
1: It is. It's uh, You know, um, I'm with you completely there, Bill. It's, I, I love I love what uh, technology has brought and, and enriched our life and, and our learning, but I hate what it does in terms of the, uh, uh, the cyberbullying and the, the pressure that kids are feeling that they need to know what's going on. There's, there's, some, there's some light in the horizon. The, uh, uh, the most uh, um, uh, recent generation are taking Facebook Free Fridays, um they're, they're, they're saying, when I was at a conference recently with the students presenting and saying, we need to learn how to manage this, not be managed by it. So there's a growing awareness that we need to address the issue. Um, and I think if we bring the young people's minds into this, then we'll, uh, we'll start to create solutions that make a difference. That with their, you know, with their, with their thinking and their knowledge, rather than us saying turn off that phone, we we'll say how do we manage this challenge that you're you're hating it as well at times.
0: With this uh, very illustrious panel that are going to be going around, uh, with all the expertise that all of you have developed over the years, uh, I'm getting the sense from uh, the conversations I've had with you and and with uh, Manny Figueroa from the Board of Education and Alex Johnston, who is the chair of the board. Uh, that your job here is not to expound with this brilliant knowledge it 's to listen to what other people have to say
1: absolutely we this is a panel of listeners um, uh, listen deeply and you know uh, eyes eyes wide open and ears wide open and really um, uh, then. Uh, we have a tough job because, you know, by May we have to have a, a draft uh, report and have got input from the the, the public on it. Um, so we absolutely, this is not going to be an academic exercise or an academic report. It's going to be accessible and um, and as meaningful as we can uh, as we can make it.
0: Uh, just a quick, we're almost done here. We've got a quick rundown on on how this is going to proceed, as as you mentioned, Jean. It starts tomorrow. Uh, there are going to be a series of sessions at high schools around the uh, the area. Westmount tomorrow. Uh, the week after that, Westdale. I'm, r- I'm sorry, Wednesday, yeah. Uh, yeah. A week after that at Westdale Secondary School, right across the road from us, and Bernie Custis down by uh, Tim Horton Field. At Salt Lake District and Waterdown District Schools uh, rounding those out. Uh, but there, uh, the other meetings we talked about with some of these other groups that are going to be impacted by this are going to be separate dates and separate locations. Uh, there's a long list of them here. I understand this is all on the board website now, isn't it, people want to get information about this?
1: It is, absolutely. Everything Everything is on the board website at the uh, uh, HWDSB, Hamilton Wentworth district school C A backslash Safe Schools Review.
0: Uh, This is important work uh, and very, very important to this community and not just to the Board of Education but to the greater community as well. Gene, we want to stay in touch with you as uh, you and your uh, fellow committee members uh, endeavor to try to find some solutions for us here. I know we're going to talk a lot more about this in the days ahead, but thank you for this today.
1: Oh, no, you're very welcome, Bill, and I look forward to uh, working together on this, for sure.
0: As do we. Thanks again, Jean. Dr. Gene okay, Clinton, of course, right. a, a clinical professor uh, who is deeply involved and has been for many, many years, as has Brendan Faraday and, and also Gary Werner. But a great supporting cast, too, of other people that are going to be helping out for this. Uh, take part in that. Go to the board website, Board of Education website, that is, and uh, check out the dates and uh, try to be a participant in this uh, this incredibly important activity. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Very important meeting is going to be happening at City Hall, uh, and it's going to be tomorrow, and it's called LRT versus Tax, Do the Math. I think you get the gist of where that meeting is going to be going. Uh, three of the council members who are heavily involved in this, Maureen Wilson, Narinder Nan, and John Paul Danko join us uh, here in studio to talk about this. Morning all, good to have you here today.
2: Good morning. You guys
0: aren't giving up on this project, are you?
2: Um, never be afraid of the data. <laughs> so um if in the absence of data, you can make up your own truths, and tomorrow night is about looking at the importance of of data in public decision making
0: um, Are the other council members invited
2: it's a, It's a public <laughs> meeting Because
0: there are some people that don't let the facts get in the way of their opinion
2: you yeah, know? yeah no it's a it's a public m- meeting, and I was reminded over the weekend um, with a, a group of young people at Model City Hall. Um, trying to encourage teenagers to get into municipal politics that a well-informed electorate is a democracy's best friend. You can't have one without the other.
0: How did this thing, excuse the bad pun here, Narendra, get off the rails? Uh, the, there just seemed to be, long before we even got down to the brass tacks of talking and crunching numbers, many people in this community had already made up their minds either pro or con on this.
3: Um. So I think honestly it comes back down to that point that was raised on the weekend about being informed or not and how did it get off the rails is I think that we're not actually having uh, in-depth dialogues that looks at facts and looks at information that would help our residents make informed opinions. Over the weekend I spent some time with residents in the Gala neighborhood and we had a great conversation about municipal tax, what what the policy looks like, what the system, how it operates and fundamentally what we're facing as a council. And just spending 15 minutes doing a little bit of popular economics and breaking down, you know, this is the pot of money that the city has, this is the ways in which we uh, generate revenue, these are the ways in which we, as a council, unfortunately decided that we don't want to even explore uh, generating revenues, whether it was the bi-weekly trash collection math, or whether it was the math related to land transfer taxes or fees. That when we make these short-ended or short-sighted decisions around the table, what we're saying at the end of the day is we're not going to take the information that could possibly inform what our final budget looks like and then, based on that, what we're investing in in terms of services. And when you break it down like that and have a conversation with residents, for them, the conversation about tax increases shifts f- profoundly it goes into the heart of the matter, which is about the services that you're delivering, and gets into the heart of what are we investing in, and for for what purpose. So then we can get into a conversation about municipal government and its relationship to values and principles of serving its democracy, of serving its residents. And when you have that kind of engaged conversation, the rails are back on. Right, The people are on the train and people are understanding the entire scope of the conversation and making really informed decisions to me then as a counselor about how I represent them in this budget process.
0: I, I don't want to go too deep into the philosophical yeah. aspect of this, but uh, we do have to go into the weeds a little bit, John Paul, on this, because I, I agree with what you've done. And uh, going back to my time on council, it's amazing how people don't quite grasp exactly what's going on. And I, and you know what, and to a, a, a person, okay, maybe they don't do the homework on this, but Elected officials, I think, sh- have to share some of the blame here, too, because no matter who's knocking on your door for whatever level of government, 99% of them knock on that door and say, elect me and I'm going to keep your taxes low. They don't say, I'm going to make sure you have an efficient delivery of services, which is really what your job is as a city council, and then you attach a price to it. But people look at it in the inverse, and all of a sudden they're expecting, as long as I'm paying less, I'm okay with that. But they're the first ones that are going to call you the week after and say, hey, whoa, whoa, what about this? My street isn't plowed yet. My garbage didn't get picked up. Well, yeah, you get what you pay for.
4: I think, in my perspective anyway, that we were elected to a leadership role, and a big part of that leadership role is to not only tell people what we're doing, but also help them to understand why it is that we're doing the things that we're doing. I know in my um, time in Ward 8 and the people that I talked to on the mountain, A lot of people are not really that, don't have that much of a black and white uh, perspective on any kind of big picture municipal issues. LRT being one, um, things like that. You know, there's, there's, people on both sides of these issues that do have a very defined position one way or the other. But the vast majority of people I find just want to know that their tax dollars are being invested well and they want to have confidence in their government. And that's especially true at the local level. I think people our electorate are are smart people. They understand what's going on and they can see that how we treat these problems and how we treat them as electorate. Um, you know, they, they, they can understand that if they don't have confidence in their government, then they become very cynical, right? They think, well, you know, they're all the same, and it doesn't matter who I vote for, and it, it, you know, it's it's just going to be the same as it always is. And I think that Again, being in that leadership role is—I really feel that we have a duty to our constituents to help them understand why it is that we're we're making the types of choices that we do.
0: Does council have that understanding, that mindset that that they need to reach out? I mean, because you know, one of the accusations—and you—you've been in an administrative side and now the political side of this, Maureen. Uh, an awful lot of the time, people just think you know, the people around that horseshoe there—they just—they're just, they're out of touch once they once they get elected. You know, they send out their newsletter or something like that, but they're not listening. They're hearing, but they're not listening. How do you how do you reach out and make sure the community has the facts? As, you, as uh, well, let's talk about this in in through the the prism of of the LRT debate. Then
2: mm-hmm. I, I guess it it goes back to what Narendra and, and JP were talking about. It depends on your definition of leadership and what your expectation is that you give for yourself and what your residents expect of you. And that's why public engagement is is so important, enabling residents to have access to expertise, to experts, to data. Um, and believing and having confidence in them that they're going to use that wisely. So tomorrow night, a gentleman by the name Joe Minakazi is coming in. Mm-hmm. He's an architect, an urbanist. He's been voted one of the most influential uh, urban thinkers in North America. He's from North Carolina originally, but born in upper New York State. What he says is um, the city of Hamilton is a corporation. It's incorporated. And you and me and everybody else in Hamilton were the shareholders and as a shareholder you want the greatest return on your investment so what is it that your city is investing it in and what should it invest in to give you the greatest financial return Um, and he looks at everything from roads to buildings and where we build and he just breaks it down really simply by hectare by the number of jobs per hectare, by the number of taxes, the amount of taxes that a building um, or an asset is paying. Um, and he says, everything that we invest in is a liability. It's, it's not an asset. Because once it's in the ground, once it's constructed, once it's built, it's forever going to cost us money to run, to operate, to repair, to salt, to plow. He said, so what are the types of investments that after a while create a return for shareholders. Um, And I have long argued that LRT in an urban corridor enriches all the land in and around that corridor. So it it creates an economic surplus. What does a corporation do with that surplus? Well, we can reinvest it. And we reinvest that money in the things that Hamilton said are important to us, affordable housing, parks and recreation, trails and green space. And in the absence of that, we have very little money to invest, and we only have liability. So we're actually taking money and continuing to have to plow it into something that doesn't generate an economic return for us. He takes the data, he breaks it down, he presents the facts, and he says, you have choices to make.
0: But oftentimes, I I get the sense though, uh, panel, that uh, when you guys jump in here, uh, an awful lot of people, and he, um, frankly, you, you know without pointing fingers at individuals, I think some of your council colleagues too, start with a conclusion, and then work backwards to try to find data to substantiate what their their opinion is on something like that. and they're blinded to the other side altogether. Uh, and And that's somewhat problematic to try to to move p- this whole community forward with some of these initiatives.
3: It is problematic, and I think that um, it, it's it's imperative to us. It's imperative to me as an, uh, an elected official to make sure that I'm um, I'm learning in the job, that I'm looking at best practices, and I'm looking at innovative ways to think about uh, how we run our our municipality and how we optimize the service delivery to our residents, and most specifically those who are most marginalized. So I would hope that as we continue hosting these kinds of educational events, as residents um, attend them, they're able to be part of the conversation so that their engagement in our democracy can be direct but also informed. Um, Fundamentally, I'd love to see other councillors showing up to these um, educational events, and I'd love to go to some of their educational events if they're hosting some. I'm I'm absolutely open um, to good thinking, critical thinking that's going to move our city in the direction that it needs to and that our residents are calling for and waiting for.
0: uh, I guess one of the big challenges here, though, is... uh, (laughs) Even if it's because uh, we used to back in my day in council, we'd have information sessions about budgets. For instance, yep. you know, here's where we're going. You attended a lot of those, Maureen. Mm. Uh, and the thing I guess that I found frustrating about this, it was great to have that that dialogue, that back and forth. But it was the same faces at all the meetings. Uh, we need to expand that. You know, you, you, we have to start holding these. Uh, you know, in a larger venue because there's going to be so many people showing up. How do you how do you get those people involved?
4: I think as a mountain counselor, um, I bring a, a bit of a different perspective to mm-hmm. this because my constituents don't live along the LRT route, if we're talking about that project in particular. But I think this conversation goes way beyond just LRT. Mm-hmm. We're talking about asset management mm-hmm. and yep. our priorities for setting the entire budget of the corporation of the city of Hamilton. And the mountain residents that, that I'm talking to, again, they want to know that their tax dollars are being invested well. And to Maureen's earlier point about assets versus liabilities, I mean, I've spent a long time building bridges and roads and things like that, and it's clear when you're actually in the industry like that these are liabilities that have a lo- long-term life cycle cost. So trying to get our residents involved and residents from all different parts of the city to, um, and not have the, just, the, as you said, the usual suspects show up to broaden that base and help people just understand the, the why of it, of what's going on as a city, and when there are projects that are not geographically out your front door, something that you can't see from your, um, from your window, to help them understand the, why we invest th- in things as a city and how there's a, there's a larger benefit to some of the things that we do and why we invest.
0: The other element to this, too, is I think there's an expectation that we want instant gratification. I mean, that's a societal problem, I think, with everything. You know, fast food, fast this, fast that. Uh, that we want to see that economic development that we were told about with the, the day this thing starts, maybe even before it starts. Uh, and they don't see that. Uh, I, I can remember years ago I, when I was in Buffalo. We went to Buffalo to watch a hockey. And long story short, we stayed overnight at the hotel, and that's right on the LRT route. And back in those days, even Buffalo was saying, you know, maybe this was a mistake because there's nothing happening here. Uh, and there wasn't for about two or three years in a row as we'd, we'd go down there for our little uh, annual journey to go there. Uh, not much happening. Now it is. There's development happening all along the Buffalo LRT line, uh, but it takes time. Uh, but and and from that standpoint, the Hamilton situation is probably even more advanced than Buffalo was because a lot of that growth that we talked about was already starting to happen before there was even a shovel in the ground. Land was being purchased, businesses were mm-hmm. being designed. It was already starting to happen here. That's why I think a lot of people were shocked when we got word from the ministry about what their decision was going to be.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. great great cities aren't born. They're made. And great cities are made by having the discipline um, and the vision to to stay the course and to engage with residents. What's important to you and why do we need to do this together? Because we're all in this together. And ultimately, I think we'd like to build a city that ensures that when our children get older, there is an opportunity for them to find work here, to find quality, affordable living here, um, that it's okay, it's great to an easy to find opportunity here, to invest here. But cities need a predictable environment. Any investor, needs to ensure that there's stability, predictability, and you're sticking to a plan. And so when the government comes in at the last minute and says, sorry mates, we think we're going to stop this train. And we've already had people who have put money on the table, bought property, expropriated land. uh, We've moved people out, found them another place to live. Um, That does not bode well for any investment environment, particularly Hamilton, because no bones about it. We have a financial crisis on our hands. Our budget is not in good shape. We are well below the threshold of our um, investment in our capital. We should be at 15 to 20% recapitalization of investing. We're at 11% and that took us years to get to 11%. So we owe it to our residents to engage them um to, to put the hard facts on the table and to do the work that says you may never ride this train or you may never go down in this part of the community but here's why it's in your best interest to care about this and for us to stay the course on this.
0: Well and the other element to this too is people as we mentioned at the beginning of the conversation have to understand that there's a price for everything. Uh, you know, um, you know, we don't have the best healthcare system in the world anymore. It might have at one point back in the '60s. Others do it better, and it costs more. Of course, it does. Delivery costs that. So this is going to be a very expensive project. But you know, t- too many people don't want to seem to look at the other side of the ledger and say, well, here's what's going to happen. Not just in two years or five years, but in 25 years, and what's going to happen to this community. And uh, the discussion has to happen. It's going to happen tomorrow night, of course, at City Hall. But how do you reach out? How do you get that message to the government who clearly didn't seem to do their own homework when they made this decision?
2: You, you engage. You never start, stop talking. You, you, you use every platform you have, and you use data and facts and have confidence that the, the electorate will be able to <laughs> um, under, understand that um, and that we're all in this together and we'll put our shoulder to the wheel.
0: You mentioned Mr. Menacozzi, who has an international reputation, of course, for doing these sorts of things. We brought in people like that before. Richard Florida has been here and talked about his ar- idea of urbanization and how things are going. Uh, it certainly resonates with an element of the community. Does it resonate with council when they hear these things? Does it, does it, I'm, I'm not suggesting it's going to be mind-changing necessarily, but at least opening up some, some, uh, some closed doors and some closed opinions on some of these things.
4: I'm not sure how much it resonates with other members of Council, but what I do know resonates with other members of Council is input from the, their constituents. And through talking about LRT specifically, there was a campaign launched just before Christmas, and all of our offices have received uh, nearly a thousand emails from concerned residents on this topic. I think there's a growing awareness in Hamilton, and it, to me it started with Red Hill, it continued through the stadium. And, uh, and then with LRT, there's, there's a desire in our city to see our government, uh, our municipal government tackle these big picture projects and come away with some wins. And I think people are, are really paying mu- much more attention um, to this and to other similar issues once we get into our asset management um, program in our budgets and our p- priorities for our budgets, I think you're going to see even more engagement. So there is there is a very strong engagement in this community, but again, as the leadership, I, I see it as our job is to make sure that people can stay engaged and that their voices are heard and that uh, they have useful, um, helpful information to to help them through that.
0: Uh, 7 o'clock tomorrow night at City Council Chambers, of course. It's free. Uh, I get the sense, I've got about a minute left here, that uh, although we've kind of focused on LRT here, the, the, the conversation's probably going to delve into a whole lot of other things, land use planning and a number and of different things, too. They're all, inter- yeah, quined, it, they? it, they're all intertwined, uh, aren't they?
2: They're all, what are we going to invest in? Where are we going to develop? What do we need to build? What kind of returns are we looking for our, our investments? It all informs everything we do.
0: Uh, 7 o'clock tomorrow night, City Council Chamber. If you want to be involved and you should want to be involved, uh, be there. Uh, Councillors, thanks so much for showing up and uh, good luck tomorrow. Thank you. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Interesting discussion in the last segment uh, with the City Councilors, Maureen Wilson, Narendra Nan and John Paul Danko about the session they're going to be doing tomorrow night at uh, City Hall. It's not just about LRT, but it's about city growth and and how things are going to go. But nonetheless, the LRT is still going to be a major issue. Last week, we talked about the uh, the panel that was struck to try to find uh, alternative ways to spend that billion dollars that the government says is still on the table for Hamilton. And hope springs eternal. There are still a lot of people, including the three councils that were just here and others in the community, that uh, still think there's a, a possibility that this, this transportation panel that has been struck by the government is actually going to come back and say, you know what? LRT really is the best way to spend this money. Don't know if that's going to happen. But uh, if it is, then I'm kind of wondering why MetroLink is going forward right now to find out exactly how much it's going to cost to cancel the project. Uh, Ryan McGrill joins us, editor of Raise the Hammer, and uh, he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to give us his perspective. Ryan, good morning. Thanks for the time today. Good
5: morning, Bill. It's always a pleasure. You're one of
0: those guys that still thinks there's a glimmer of hope, aren't you? I'm definitely a glass-half-full kind of guy when it comes to Hamilton. There you go. Okay. Uh, and specifically about LRT, uh, you're, not, you're not taking the government as the final word here?
5: Well, I mean, the the thing about this about rapid transit in Hamilton is that it's it's inevitable. I mean the if this panel is making a decision based on the best evidence and best practice and looking for the maximum return, they're going to land on rapid transit because there's just nothing else that can deliver the kind of overall benefit that this LRT investment can for Hamilton.
0: Well, they're pretty astute individuals. I mean, we all know Tony Valeri from uh, his work, not just as a public official, but uh, he's done some great stuff too uh, for this community and uh, at ArcelorMittal DeFasco, Fasco. Uh, The other members of the panel we know in varying degrees, Uh, and I didn't ask Tony because I didn't want to embarrass him, about whether or not he's supportive of LRT, I get the sense that he might be. But whatever they recommend, it's still going to be up to the Minister of Transportation to actually decide what's going to happen here, isn't it?
5: Well, of course. Ultimately, it's up to the province. But, I mean, if you look at... Uh, first of all the composition of the lrt task force and the way they pulled it together and some of the kind of shifts and moves that have been happening you know for example in staffers minister moroni's office i it looks to me as though this government is trying to position itself for a face-saving way of putting this project back on the table
0: wouldn't that be interesting
5: i think you know this is a government that tends to move quickly they don't think through the consequences of their decisions all the time Um, these things come up and blow up in their face, and then they're forced to backpedal and reverse their position. It's not the first time they've done it. I don't expect it's going to be the last. And I could see the same thing happening for Hamilton LRT.
0: Here's the thing, though, Ryan. If if this is happening behind closed doors at Queen's Park right now, then why is Metrolink's going forward with uh, basically uh, doing the math about how much this is actually going to cost? In other words, they made an announcement, as I'm sure you saw uh, that they're trying to determine the final cost to cancel the LRT project. Uh, Going to make the fi- figures available later on in the springtime here. Uh, they said they're working to close out remaining project contracts and uh, expect to finish the process in the coming months. Uh, it sounds as if they're shutting down the operation. Now, if, if, if I were in government, I don't care what side of the issue you're on with LRT, uh, I would be saying, look, just hold your horses until we hear it from this panel. I, you know, this is That announcement they made over the weekend about closing this down and getting the final cost, I think is at least three weeks premature.
5: I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, this might be a the king is dead, long live the king sort of situation. I mean, one thing that we do know is that the the RFP process that was underway and, you know, was just three months away from getting a final, um, a final cost quote from the, the bidders, that project is dead. That process is dead. It would have to be restarted. So in that sense... Um, you know, there is, I think, a need for an accounting of how much money has been spent up to this point. Uh, I, I don't know if Metrolinx is going to do this, but I think part of the conversation we need to have as well is what is the cost to Hamilton? You know, Metrolinx can say, you know, they're at $186 million in counting, but you're looking at $200 million in direct infrastructure renewal in Hamilton, including the replacement of the Longwood Bridge, the Frid Street extension, um, you know, 44 lane kilometres of roadway. Uh, you're looking at a $34 million bus terminal at Mac. million in uh, new building fees for the city. Uh, and And if you look at the lost opportunity for new assessment growth in Hamilton, in Waterloo, along their LRT corridor, they have $3 billion in new developments that are all based around the LRT. If that was in Hamilton, we'd be looking at another $72 million in property tax revenue That works out to $270 a household in additional money that we would have to spend in Hamilton.
0: You know, the other element to this, too, and I mentioned when our panel was here with us just a couple of minutes ago, I'm constantly receiving emails from people that are clearly opposed to LRT, uh, stories from the Ottawa newspapers or KW talking about, you know, this problem, that problem. uh, You know, the whole thing shut down in Ottawa a couple of weeks ago. I guess they they just had some logistical problems. Nobody said this was going to be perfect, but nobody seems to be looking at the long game here either.
5: Oh, exactly, yeah. I mean, in Waterloo, uh, you know, again, if you look at the amount of money that that region is bringing in in new growth, new tax assessment, that's money that can be invested across the entire city. It's money that can be invested to support, you know, the the existing suburban neighbourhoods and all the mile kilometres of roadway and water and sewer and the very expensive cost of maintaining all that. You have to have a vibrant dynamic downtown or else the whole city becomes unaffordable. And that's a situation we've been in Hamilton for a long time now.
0: The... Le- left hand has to know what the right hand is doing, though, when it comes to the provincial government. I mean, for Metrolinx to be making an announcement like this and saying, yeah, we're, we're going to get you the final numbers on this, uh, I, I, as we mentioned, I think it's premature to do that. Concern being that if they do come back and say, you know what, this LRT thing was probably the best way to spend this money anyway, I, I don't want to go back to square one and start all over again.
5: Well, we, at, at a minimum, we're going to have to go back to the beginning of the RFP process. Yeah. So putting out a request for qualifications, Um, you know there's a few ways we can go i mean of course because this project has now been cancelled we've added at least another two years to you know at a minimum to the time it'll take to get the thing started well costs go up the longer you wait the more expensive things get Um, you know there may be an opportunity to talk to the federal government and get some funding the province may have to look at uh, maybe scaling back the project and doing a phased build so you build the first part of it on the first batch and then go back and add more later those are all conversations that are going, we're going to have to have, and that's going to be part of what that RFQ process looks like. I mean, unfortunately, they've already killed the project. They've already thrown the existing process out so close to when it was going to be finished. That's a sunk cost. We can't get away from that at this point.
0: Ryan, is there a consensus now that that 5.5 billion dollar figure that uh, Minister Mulroney touted when she cancelled the project is bogus?
5: It's absolutely bogus. There's no question about it. Uh, the you know the the, the Treasury Board approved 30-year cost for this project was about 3.7 billion dollars and uh, the cost estimate that was done by the you know the independent third party that also calculated a total cost of for 30 years of about 3.7 billion dollars somebody took that number added 5.5 in front of it and pushed it out as a press release it's a nonsense number you know we've sat down we know uh, staff at the city have sat down trying to understand where it came from there's no even rationale there's no logic to it at all
0: no, but it was the basis for the cancellation, at least that's what they said at the time. Sure, and it, it looks like
5: a number that was manufactured for the express purpose of creating a uh, a climate of fear about how much this project is going to cost. It's just not to be taken seriously.
0: You know, t- to use the old phrase that uh, too often gets associated with politics, say, hey, was the fix in here? Because, you know, th- this is this has cost overruns. Every project, you're, as you're absolutely right. Uh, as the Ottawa project did, as the KW project did, as uh, as the Mississauga pr- project is going to have, they don't seem to have any problem backing away from the Hamilton proposal. But the other ones, they're they're fine with. Uh, I, I, you know, it's it's one of these things where you're going to start getting a little paranoid in the city. Say, so what do these, what do these guys have against us?
5: Hamilton was treated differently and unfairly from every other city. There's no question about that. That's just an unambiguous fact. The government decided, and I, you know, you and I have had this conversation before, Bill. And I'm only speculating right now, but the sense I have is that the government thought that by canceling the project, they would be created as liberators. And I think that was, um, you know, that's been a bit of a surprise uh, awakening for them when they realized this is actually a popular project, controversial to be sure, but that a majority of Hamiltonians supported it. Most of our of our councillors supported it. It survived seven municipal and provincial elections in a row now this is a project that people are really committed and passionate to get built so when they cancelled it i think like who comes to a city to announce that a project's being cancelled unless they think it's a good news story the whole thing is just crazy that was
0: no that whole day was bizarre i mean you're absolutely right you know rule 101 in politics is you don't deliver bad news and have a great big unless you know it's something monumental but nothing like this. You don't go into a city and say, "By the way, we're taking that project away from you." You come into a city to say, "Hey, we're going to give you this." Uh, if, if you're going to do, if you're going to do an announcement like that, uh, and, and Carol Marouni not a, a, you know, she's not a novice. I get that, but I mean, she knows her way around. You know, she's from a political family. You deliver bad news at Queens Park, good news at the community that, if, who's going to be the rece- receiver of this. So it was asked backwards right from the beginning. Uh, the press conference here was obviously a, a, a farce, and it, it, they just this has just blown this whole thing. And, and you've already alluded to the fact that there have been some staff changes within that ministry since then too. And you got to wonder if somebody just says, uh, you know, "Premier wants to see you in the corner office. Let's talk about this." So that's a conversation we may never find out about, but I'm not so sure that it didn't happen.
5: No, exactly. And, you know, certainly if you look at uh, you know the reaction of Joe Mancinelli and Liuna. You know, and the fact that they, you know, A, had a lot invested in this project, and B, had done a lot to support this government getting elected. You know, I don't want to know what that conversation sounded like, but I can imagine it was not very
0: pleasant. Well, I've known Joe Mancinelli for many, many years. Actually, we used to be neighbors for a a period of time there, and uh, I've never seen Joe that angry. Uh, I, I mean, it was controlled anger, I guess that's Joe, but... Uh, he was on the program the day after the announcement was made. He sat right here in the studio, and he, uh, when everybody was kind of you know with their head on their chin on and just thinking, well, this is never going to happen. He said, "No, we're going to make this happen. It's not over yet." And and you know that kind of you know can do attitude is, is something that I think people have to hang on to here. And and you're you're right. I mean, Leuna was a big supporter in that last provincial election of of this particular party and of that particular individual to become the premier of this province. Uh, you got to know that the that the, he has their ear.
5: Well, in addition to that, you know, Hamilton Light Rail has been running a campaign to support this LRT project for, I don't even want to talk about how many years now, but in the past just couple of months since the announcement, over a 1,000 people have sent personal messages to the the province demanding fairness, demanding fair treatment, and demanding that the premier come in, recognize that this was a mistake,
0: and fix it. Well, the message here should be, Somebody at the Ministry of Transportation has to get a hold of Metrolinks and say, put your calculators away. You don't need those numbers yet. We're, we're not done here yet. And I, I know that even doing that message might send out false hope in the community, but I don't think it's false hope. I think there's a, a real legitimate uh, push here to try to resurrect this. And, and you're right. I think, you know, maybe we have to be open-minded. Maybe it's not going to all happen at once. It may well be a phased-in project at this stage. But I I just can't see this government, now that they've had a chance to to think about this and get some feedback, turn their back on it.
5: Right, because fundamentally nothing has changed about the viability of the project itself. It was always the right investment for Hamilton. It was always necessary for us to get our finances in order. And that hasn't changed a bit. You know, the province wants... You know, to be open for business, to be financially successful, it needs all of its big cities to be performing at a high level. That includes Hamilton. You know, they may be angry that we, you know, sent a few NDP, MPPs to Queen's Park last year, but they have to rise above partisanship and do what's right for the city and what's right for the province.
0: Well, and council's got to get their act together here, too. I mean, you know, as we were apportioning blame, and God knows there's enough to go around... Uh, council dragged their heels on this project for the longest time, and they were, and, and I, I think that was a factor in this whole thing. And uh, from a financial standpoint alone, uh, as you've alluded to, the longer this thing gets delayed, of course the more it's going to cost. We saw that happen with the Expressway project. Whatever side you were on in that debate that went on for about 50 years, uh, the fact of the matter is is that it took so long to build, it was that much more expensive. And, and I'm afraid this is going to start happening with this project. It already has, really, hasn't it?
5: Well, you know, the funny thing is, we've actually been debating rapid transit in Hamilton along that corridor since 1960. So we're at 70 years now of debate and counting. So even by Red Hill terms, we are overdue to get this project completed.
0: Well, I'd like to see some news coming from the province on this. As we mentioned, this uh, panel that uh, Tony Valeri is chairing. Uh, is supposed to have recommendations by the end of this month. Uh, Those will be delivered to the ministry. Uh, That's the process that's going on, and uh, I guess we're not quite sure just how, or how soon really, the ministry is actually going to make an announcement about what's going to be happening. But uh, I'd I'd love to be a fly on the wall during some of those sessions with the panel uh, to see just exactly where this this panel is going and what they might be considering. Well,
5: certainly. And, And in Hamilton, you know, I think as citizens we need to continue to keep the pressure up you know, again, at uh, HamiltonLightRail.ca, we have the campaign calling on people to send a personal message to the Premier telling them to fix this mistake and uh, treat Hamilton fairly. And I think, you know, our citizens, our politicians, we need to be, you know, our business or and our, our environmental and community groups, we need to be on the same message and letting the province know that this is a bad idea and that we expect them
0: to fix it. Ryan McGreal from Raise the Hammer. Uh, and uh, as always, thanks for the time today. And, uh, uh, it ain't over till it's over, as the old saying goes, and uh, let's apply that that philosophical process to uh, to what's happening here with LRT, too. We'll talk again, Ryan. Thanks again.
5: Right on. Thank you so much.
0: Ryan McGreal from uh, Raise the Hammer. Uh, and, and, you know, go to those web pages that he just referenced if you're really sincere about this and you really have some concerns about, about what the government has done and, and how they're going to move forward on this. Uh, I've heard from more than a few sources, uh, confidential sources at Queen's Park and other places, that there may well be some pressure at Queens Park right now to say, "Hey, wait a second, uh, let's let's back off of this just a little bit." And yeah, they you know it's walking back a, a decision. I get that, but they've done this with other things too, you know, with the autism funding and a couple of other things that they've tried to initiate, including uh, breaking up regional governments. Remember that just a couple of months ago. They pretty much put the word out that uh, communities like uh, Halton and, and others that have regional governments were going to get blown apart, and there was going to be amalgamations, just like what we had to go through in Hamilton 20 years ago. And they backed off that because of the pushback. So we shall see just how the government's going to respond. Probably about a month from now, we should get some sort of a word after that panel does their work.